as you guys know, last week we finished up Titus, right? And so what you can expect for the next few weeks are just a couple of standalone sermons. But, but I want you to know as we march towards, let's, let's say, Easter, right? Um, they're not without thought of, of laying before you the Bible and a text that would hopefully engage your heart, engage your mind to prepare you for the moment that we reflect on the fact of why Christ was crucified and the triumphal resurrection, right? Which gives us all the hope that, that really, that, that is the only hope. If Jesus was not resurrected, you and I are wasting our time here. We're just wasting our time here, right? But, but he has been resurrected, and so we're going to look towards that. But, but to prepare our hearts today, um, I want to look at a very well-known text, which is Luke 15. And so before I begin, though, let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder what kind of person God loves, right? And at a service level, God loves everyone. He does. Absolutely, he does, Okay. But I'll tell you, man, there's, there are times where we think, well, he just loves us the way we are. He does, but he loves repentant sinners because it's the only way we can come into his actual presence and to enjoy life with him. So let me ask you another question, maybe closer to home. Do you, do you ever wonder if God loves you? Because it's my experience as I talk to people, and then just even in my own life, there are people who have grown up within the church um, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, and, and, but now you're walking with the Lord. But you always have this, this question, does, does God really love me? Does he even see me? Does he know me? Does he even care? And, and that low-level question that hits everybody is what really keeps us from intimacy and joy with God. It really is. It's just what keeps us at a distance, right? Martin Luther once said this. He said, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy, right? Now, now here's, here's the thing. I think there are a lot of times where people believe, yeah, God loves me, but he's, he doesn't really like me. And we almost think that there's this love and wrath. It's like, ugh. And, and you'll never come to God when he's like that with you. But that's, that's not a picture of the gospel. I found this to be true in my own life and, and the joy that I've had to walk through other people just trying to figure that out. But I want you to know the cure for almost all spiritual ailments is to know, to believe, to trust that you are deeply loved by God because of what Christ has done. And gosh, do we need grace to believe that. <laughs> I mean... I don't care if you were like baptized the day you were born, they smacked your little booty and you said Jesus when the doctor did it, right? Like you need grace to believe that God loves you like that. So that's why we're in, the, we're in Luke 15. Because, you know, the prodigal son, right, which is what it's titled as most often in the later part of the text. I, I got to tell you, um, it probably is the greatest chapter to explicitly lay out the love of God towards sinners in a narrative way, in a story way. That's why we're going to look at it, because I really want you to see the love that God has for sinners, because that's all there is. That's all there is, right? And so let's look at this text. Let's spend a little bit of time working through it. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to tell you right now, verses 1 and 2 are the most important probably verses within the whole chapter, if you're going to understand the story, 
You've you got to look at it. Like many times people will teach the prodigal son and they'll jump right to the verse where it talks about and there was this younger son and he went away. But you miss the drama. You miss the drama of the story if you do that. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Let's pause. Tax collectors. I'm not going to go into a great length here, but you've got to know something. These people... They were nasty. They were hated, right? They, they were traitors of their own people. They would extort money from people. They were the worst of the worst. It would be like right now if like Muslims just took over Greensburg, right? And they were trying to collect money from everybody. And, and they couldn't get enough boots on the ground, so they just draft Sam. Sam's going to be the gangster, and she, they're going to say, Sam, listen... You've got to go around to all your friends at For the City Church, and you've got to get at least 20% from them. But here's the deal, Sam. If you get more than that, you can just bank it. You can just keep it. And you don't have to pay us your taxes. It's cool. We're, we're friends. Now, would we like Sam? Oh, I'm sure some of you would be like, yes, we love everybody. No, I'd hate you. I'd hate you. Right? Like, and, and if you could be real, you'd hate her too. Because not only is she taking money from you, but, but she was one of us. Like, what happened, Sam? Why would you go work for the enemy? So this is what it means to be a tax collector. Sinner, you know, we, we hear that word and we say, well, everybody's a sinner. That's true. But that's not really getting at the heart of what's being said here. It, it's, man, it's prostitutes. It's heroin addicts. It's the worst of the worst. It's those who have leprosy. And, it's, it's, and they are just the most scandalous people ever. And they're drawing near to hear Jesus. But there's more people in that group. You've got the Pharisees and the scribes. What are they doing? They're grumbling. They're grumbling. By the way, the Pharisees and scribes, you know, it's the religious leaders of that time. More could be said, but that gets at it, right? And what are they grumbling about? This man, Jesus, he receives sinners. He even eats with them. Because to eat with someone at that time was a very intimate thing, to invite someone to the table to enjoy a meal with them. Jesus is... He's a magnetic enigma for people. Magnetic in the sense they're all drawn to him like bugs gone to like a bug light, right? But instead of getting zapped and killed, they, they come alive. Now, now, here's the thing. He's magnetic, but he's an enigma because they can't understand him. They keep trying to understand him. Like every time they think they got him pegged, he switches the game on them. And that's what's happening here. But they keep coming around. And, and notice... The tax collectors and sinners came to hear. They came to hear. But the Pharisees and the scribes came to what? Essentially condemn. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Do you not understand the rules of the game? Why are you hanging out with these people? But Jesus knows the hearts of all men. And so he wants to tell them a story. So he gathers them all around. And they're drawn close. And, and you've got you to, man, you must picture what's happening here. Right? You've got to understand the drama that's about to be unfolded. Right? So he's going to tell them a parable. He's actually going to tell them three parables. By the way, a parable is an, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But here's the thing. It has two purposes. Right? For those who actually want to learn and want to hear, it's revealing truth. But those who have a hard heart and are just going to grumble and complain and look for something to point out, you've got to know it actually conceals truth. And so Jesus is bringing them close and he says, listen up. I'm going to read the first two parables very quickly. As a matter of fact, let me just narrate them. You've got 99 sheep, 
One's gone. We don't know why it's wandered off, but there's a shepherd and he goes after it. Now, if we think about that in terms, we'd just be like, well, you don't want to do that. You leave 99, they're vulnerable. What could happen to them? This doesn't even make sense in the economy of a shepherd. What if a wolf comes in and starts, but he goes. And what's he, what's he teaching there? He's saying, rejoice. I found this sheep. I put it on my shoulders. Rejoice with me, right? And he tells a story of a, of a woman. She has, she has 10 coins, but she's lost one of them. And she's sweeping the whole house. She's trying to find this one lost coin, 10% worth of her income. It's like a day's wage. And she finds it. She calls people together. And she says, rejoice. And in all of these, he's, he's trying to teach them that listen, listen to the words. He says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Same, same with the coin. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy, joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the point of these two stories that he's, that he's laying out is that God loves lost people in the same way that a shepherd loves lost sheep and that a woman loves her lost coin. He, he's confronting the religious leaders of that time with their failure to understand what really brings God joy. That's, that's what he's confronting. You're grumbling. What, what brings God joy are the sinners, are the tax collectors, and even the religious leaders. You don't even understand how lost you are coming home. Like, this is the point. It, it brings God real to delight to save sinners. Okay, turn it on you. It brought God infinite joy to save you. If indeed you're saved. If indeed you've come and received forgiveness of sin because of what Christ has done. So hopefully you understand the greater context, right? That's the greater context. Now let's jump into the, the, what's been called the prodigal son, but I actually hate that title. I really do. I know it's in the Bible, but it's actually not the Bible. It's just someone's like writing of it, right? Because why? There's two sons, there's two sons, and when you focus on the one rebellious son, you miss the whole point of the story. You just miss it, because it's really, well, that's spoiler alert, let's hang in there. Look at 11 through 13. By the way, I'm just going to narrate, walk through this, right? So I'll be in the text, I'll say some things, we're going to keep working, we're going to get to the end of this thing. But, but I want you to, I want to bring you into the drama that is the word. I really do. And I'm going to read it with passion and, and not some, you know, comical way or some like strange way. But, but you've got to feel the emotion in the text when you read this text. You, you have to because there's so much happening here. So let's look at it. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Right. So he's painting a picture for them. And the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Let's pause. Um, that's a strange request. It's just such a strange request. Because in that culture, the older son would almost guaranteed expect to get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third. But, but here's the deal. The strange thing is that he wants it now. When do you get an inheritance? Yeah, it's when they take a dirt nap. They kick the bucket, right? That, that's when you get 
this, but, but he, can't, he can't wait. He, can't, he wants his father dead. I mean, don't miss that. He, he wants him dead. He, he, he doesn't actually want his dad. He just wants what his dad can give him. Oh, and how many times we treat God like that. He's basically saying, Father, I, I can't wait for you to die. I just want your stuff. Could you just give me my stuff? And we could skip the whole thing. Wouldn't that be good? I'd get out of your hair. What would you do if that request came to you? Well, I don't have to worry about that. We can know what God did in this picture, although you shouldn't push a parable too far. But here's what he did. He divided up his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. He, he wanted to get as far away from his father as he possibly could. He wanted to go to college. He wanted to go to Vegas. He wanted to go anywhere but that farm. And what happened while he was there? He squandered his property. And notice it says in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine come. By the way, what's that look like in our time? Well, you know, High inflation, market crashing, food shortage. I'm seeing that all over the place, right? Well, what's going to happen? Well, he lost everything. He wasn't looking for tomorrow. It's like YOLO. I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, right? But he was just living for today, right? I got this cash. It's burning a hole in my pocket. I just got to do my thing. He arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him, listen, into the field to feed pigs. That's a bad job. That's a bad job, right? Like if you're feeding pigs, oh, it gets worse, by the way. He's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. It's bad, right? Like you're feeding pigs, but now you want to eat pig slop with the pigs. Uh, The freedom that he so longed for didn't actually give him the actual freedom. It actually brought him into slavery. But side note, that's what sin does. It promises freedom. And even for a while, I'm sure, I actually bet he had a great time at first. He had all this cash. He probably had a lot of friends. People were hanging out with him. But eventually the cash was gone. And when the cash is gone, so are your friends. He lost everything. He has no family. He has no friends. He has no money. He's now in the pig slop and he's just feeding the pigs. And he himself, he's hungry. That's rock bottom. It's less than zero, right? This is a scary place to be because, man, I I know some of your stories. I know my own story. When you're in that place, the further you run away from God, the further you run towards your sin and towards your rebellion, you move further away from where your father lives, and you can't even hear the voice that calls you beloved son, beloved daughter. You're just numb. You're just numb. You're existing. And that's where he's at. But the story continues. But when he came to himself, by the way, that's a, that's a really important part of this whole story. It, because he's, he's, he's having a moment of, of repentance, right? He's coming to himself. He's realizing. He's having a moment of clarity. And this is a picture of repentance, right? Repentance, to change one's mind, which eventually leads to a change of direction. Like he's saying, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Like, you see that, right? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. Have you ever been there? 
I mean, I'm not talking about needing a hot pocket. I'm just saying, you've went everywhere to go and get a drink, and all the wells end up dry, and you become thirstier than you've ever been. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Right, this is the moment that he's having, which is kindness, right? He, he, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father. Light's beginning to break in on this young man's thinking. It's shining in the darkness. You know, no doubt his dad, and this is a little conjecture, so I'm over here, Bible's there, right? Like, he, he probably said, son, let's just be patient. Your time will come. But he's like, no, I've got to have it now, dad. He's like, well, yeah, but you, you're, not, you, you're not ready for that. You're not ready for that kind of freedom. You do this, it's not going to end well for you, right? You, you can imagine that happening. But he's beginning to realize that he was wrong about his father. Life with the father on the farm was actually the good life. And he couldn't see it then. Way better than anything that the world had to offer. And yet, he's in the pig slop. So he begins to rehearse his speech. <laughs> Man, have I been there. Have you ever been in a situation and like, you're anxious. When I get anxious, my palms get sweaty, right? My heart starts to beat. And you start to play the scenario over a hundred times in your head. And you're like getting ready to go into this moment and, and just lay out your heart. But you've, you've created all the scenarios. Well, what if he says this? And what if he says that? This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. So look what he says. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But do you do you see the picture of repentance? I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is repentance. There's no excuse making. There's no, you worked me too hard on the farm. You didn't let me go have my fun. He's done. He realizes I have sinned against God. And I have sinned against my father. But then he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Man, how many people... Like, how close is this to the way many people come home to God? What I mean, it sounds good. It sounds so humble, doesn't it? I, I, I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. I'm, I'm, a, I'm basically a servant. But, but I would say be careful because I think it misses the heart of grace. It misses the heart of grace, right? He's not ready to be received home as a son. He still thinks he's a slave that needs to work his way back into the good graces of his father. And i got to tell you, I've met many prodigals who are all still trying to earn the love of their father. They're trying to repay it. I'm going to pay you back, Dad. But that's not, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. I mean, how many, how many right now, if you could be honest, how many times do you think now, okay, I've done this thing. I promise, Lord, go to church every week and I'll do this thing and I'll... You're, you're no better in that moment. You're missing the point. That's not the gospel. It's through repentance, not repayment, that you receive grace. And so you, are you trying even now to, to pay God back? Because you just blew it. Well, it still misses the heart. That's why many prodigals, by the way, end up becoming the older brother. And if that doesn't make sense to you, that stick with the text. And I think you'll see it. But many times that happens. Still, he begins his long journey home. The only question that remains is, how will the father act? How will he react to his son? 
<laughs> and man, if, if I could give you eyes to see, which I can't, I would want you to see this with such clarity, with such precision, because this is what it's like to come home to dad. Okay? But while he was, and notice the verbs, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. <laughs> saw him. He, you wonder, was he looking for him? And what did he feel? He felt compassion. He felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. I mean, picture this. Can, can you imagine this scene? This is scandalous. Can you imagine this moment? It, if, you, if you can and you're like, yeah, I know it. It's because you're too familiar with the story because this is an audacious picture of love. How would you greet that child coming home? How would you greet them? We, I, I can imagine me probably having my arms folded, furrowed brow, maybe a little anger. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. So-and-so blew it. I knew that was going to happen. But, but that's not God. <laughs> that's not God. He sees his son. He feels compassion. He runs. By the way, for a Middle Eastern man, that's not normative. Right? Look at me. I never run. Some of you guys, Kevin, Kevin runs. How many miles are you up to right now? That's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, Bridget, I feel you, sis. So like, that's impressive. But, but in that day, they did not run. But he cannot help himself. He runs. He embraces. Man, he embraced him. And it could have ended there. But it says he kissed him. And I got to tell you, in, in our culture, most men need to. It, it's, it's such a strange thing. Some men show affection in strange ways. But I got to tell you, most men need to be more affectionate in a masculine way. And that's what God, he's doing. He's giving this picture. He ran. He embraced him. He kissed him. He loves him. Can you see it? It's stunning if you can. And, and don't miss the point. When you've come home through repentance, through faith and trusting in Christ, this is the heart of God towards you. You are that son, right? His love for you. But, and look at this, the son says to him. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Right? Like, uh, no, that's not what he said. Yeah, he did. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I think I put it in twice. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. He, he won't even have it. He, he just stops him. Just stop it. I know you've rehearsed your speech. I know that you're getting ready to say all these things. But the father says, bring quickly the best robe. Not just any robe, the best robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring this fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and let's celebrate. Why? For my son was dead. He was dead. This is the gospel. You are dead in your sins. And now he's alive again. He was lost. He is found. And listen, and they began to celebrate. Do you ever think of God celebrating like this? Right? The son begins to unfold his story. And, and he's rehearsing it. And he's now telling it. And the dad's like, stop. Stop. And he just starts to dress him. And he's, he welcomes him home to a lavish party. I just love this picture. Such a gorgeous. Like this is in a moment forgiveness, grace, love, celebration. We see the heart of the Father. We see the heart of God. 
in this moment right here. I mean, this dude stunk. But you know he, 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 he smelled really bad. You can't hang out with pigs. Who has ever been on a pig farm? Nasty, right? Thank God for bacon, otherwise there would be no reason to ever want to do that. Right? Pork belly. and I, I could even live without pork chops, but bacon, no. It's disgusting. He stinks. He's skinny. He's frail. And dad welcomes him home. And he dresses him. And he puts a ring on him. And he puts shoes on his feet. No doubt this man had no shoes. And if he did, they were just, they were just worn. Right? They looked like my wife's like flip-flops at the end of the year because she gets the dollar ones at Old Navy. They're thin. They're falling off. Dad is loving this son. He's having a party. We're going to celebrate. My son's home. He doesn't talk about like none of that. He just meets him with grace. But, but how many sons did the father have? Thanks, Mark. Peace to you, too. He had two. He had two. But many times we just, we just go there and we stop there. But if you do that, you're going to miss the beauty. Now, the older son was in the field. As he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Uh-oh, right? Religious folks hate that. Can't have music, can't have dancing. And he called out one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brothers come home. And your father, listen, has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, now picture this. He's out in the field. He's working hard. No, no doubt this man has had to pick up the slack since the younger brother left, right? No, no vacation days for this guy. He's working doubly hard. He's taken on the responsibility of the family, of the field, of everything. And he's coming in from an exhausting day. And, and as he gets closer, he hears a commotion. He sees some lights. Everyone's dancing. Everyone's laughing. He hears music. And here's the report of why. And, and, and in many ways, his response is not a surprise. I mean, it's really not, right? What's his response? But he was angry. And he refused to go in. And I think if you can step back and consider the moment from for an instant, you can almost understand it, right? I can understand it. I mean, I'd, I'd be like seething with this brother of mine. I know I would. Which is the point. We all need grace. We all need grace, right? And so he's, right now, in this moment, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling. Do you see it? He's, he's, he's turning the tables on them. You should be coming in. You should be celebrating, but, but you're not because you have a cold heart towards your brother. So what, what happens, by the way? His father goes out. I mean, picture, picture this. He, he doesn't just stay in the house where the celebration is. He, he goes out. The father goes out and entreated him. It means earnestly and anxiously encouraging, begging him, come join the party. Would you come join the party? Could you just get over your self-righteousness and join the party? I love you. Right? And you're going to hear that. He says, but he, but he answered his father, look, look, dad, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat. I mean, forget the calf. That's a once-in-a-lifetime party. 
right? So, but a goat, you don't even give me a goat. Oh, you can hear his anger. Why? So that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, not yours, he's yours. He's dead to me. See it? The son of yours comes. Who, by the way, oh yeah, in case you've forgotten, he's devoured all your property with prostitute. You. Cool. Underline. He says, you killed the fattened calf for him. You're not giving him what he deserves. He doesn't deserve a party. Can you feel the tension in this? The older son is seething with anger, and so much of this anger is coming out on his dad. It's just he's saying, you owe me. You owe me. Why aren't you giving me this? I've done this. Do you not see me? But his dad does, and yet the father's love and compassion for his younger son is now actually coming out with much patience and equal love for his older son. He loves him. He said, but you've got to repent. Your younger brothers come home. You're not ready to come home. Do you see it? The lostness of the older son, it's, it's hard to diagnose in a lot of ways, but it's so easy if you've ever been there. And the dad knows. He did everything right. He stayed. He was obedient. He was hardworking, seemingly honorable in many ways. And yet, it, it looks like we would say he's the model son. Everybody wants this kid. He only listens to Christian music, right? He never goes to dance parties. He does everything right. But his heart is far from the Father. But people look at him and say, that guy's got it going on. But he's lost. He's lost. And he don't know it. He's lost in his religion. The younger son was lost in his irreligion. They were both lost. Right? Can you see it? I mean, you'll see that he was working for the love of the Father, not from it. I just want you to see me. I want you to love me. And what he didn't understand is his father always loved him. And it wasn't because of what he did. It's because he's a good father who loves his kids, who loves his sons. And, and, and so he's, it's left him resentful. It's left him proud. It's left him unkind. It's left him unforgiving. It's left him selfish and bitter and deeply lost in his own perceived goodness. And there he is. There he is, and, and it continues, and he said to him, listen to what dad says, son, you are always with me. <laughs> what a good dad, man. He said, and all that I have that is mine, it's yours. I wish you, what he's saying is, what you need is, is me. You need a dad. You don't need this stuff. You already have the stuff. It's yours. You could have it. You're missing me in all of this. And how many times do we do that? How many times do we do that with God? We'll, many times we'll, we'll pray these prayers where we want everything except Him. And how many times does He just strip it all away? And why? Because He loves you. He loves you. Right? What we need is more of the Father. He says, it was fitting for me to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead. He's alive and is alive. He was lost and he's found. You can almost... You can almost picture the father just welling up with tears right now as he looks at his very old and very lost son. I got one home and one still outside the gate. 
And I don't think it's a stretch because we know that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. How long? His heart for his son. By the way, this is where it ends. This is where we're left. We're left with this strange twist in a cliffhanger, right? Like, the parable ends with a surprising, like, reversal of fortune. You know what I mean? Like, the younger younger son, he's inside the house partying. (laughs) He's celebrating. He's enjoying a restored relationship with the father. And yet, the older brother is angry, and he's on the outside looking in. This is what Jesus is, is dissecting the people who are listening to him tell the story. You're missing the point. They're coming home. The door's wide open for you, but you're too proud. And that's where we're left. So what's the main point of Luke 15? Well, I would say it's not primarily, and by the way, I think there are a lot of points to Luke 15, right? And I don't think you can press it down to one, but if I had to put my yes on the table, I'd put it on for this. It's not primarily about lost sheep. It's not about lost coins. It's not about a lost younger son. It's not about a lost older brother. They're not the main point. It's about the love of a father who loves to see people come home. That's the point. In, In all three parables, Jesus is answering the question of why he eats with sinners. This is why. Because I want them to come home. I want them to enjoy life with me. I want them to to pull up a chair at the table, fill up their cup, get this, get them a fattened calf, lay it down there. Prime rib, how do you want it? Why? Because it's not about any of that. It's about you enjoying life with me because God loves sinners. And that's all there is. And he said, just pull up a chair. I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. Do you believe that? See, God is the shepherd who goes looking for the lost sheep. And without pushing it too far, God's the woman who just scours the house looking for the lost coin. And doesn't quit until she finds it. Right? God is the father who anxiously watches and waits for his son to return home and to enjoy him. And he's also the, the, the father who goes out to the son in the field and pleads with him, come home, come into the celebration. Would you just come home? The father wants the younger son to come home. The father wants the older brother to come home. The father loves them both. And he welcomes them both home. And he welcomes to them, them to the table of infinite joy, which is life with God. But how many times do we miss the main point? See, the heart of the father burns with an immense desire to bring his children home. Question is, which son needs to repent? Both. Both. They both need to repent. Which one deserves to feast on a fattened calf? Neither. This is the point of grace. Don't make your relationship with God a work. Christ has done the work. This painful real picture before you is showing both sons need healing. Both sons need healing. The irreligious and the religious need healing. Both sons need to come home and enjoy the warm embrace of a father who has done everything to make it possible for them to have a seat at the table. He's done everything. And so everyone's invited to pull up a chair to enjoy life with God. Let, let me ask you this, though. 
have you entered the joy of your father? Or are you still trying to make things right for early years of rebellion? Or are you still trying to earn a love from a God who's already displayed through the cross and the resurrection? I love you. This is my picture of love. You, you wonder about my love? Look to my son, Jesus. I love you. Because I think many times this is where we are. But, but our Father's full of compassion. God is full of compassion. Right? He, he's full of love, mercy, and grace. Our God, our Father, if you're in Christ, listen, this is going to be a shock to some of you. He likes to party. And nothing. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting there, but yeah, like, right, like, but, but straight up, do, do you ever, do you have that picture of God in your mind? Or do you just think he's frumpy? I, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, how many times, like, we say we worship the God who rules the universe, we say that we worship the God who put on flesh and came to live the life we never could, who willingly went to the cross to open up his arms in a great act of love and to substitute himself for the sake of sinners so that sinners might be treated as that son deserved to be treated, resurrected from the grave, and now has invited you to an eternal party. And yet we're like, ho-hum, ho-hum. Like, he loves to party. And he wants a full party. By the way, in, in Luke 14, just so that you get the greater context even, he lays out the cost of discipleship. He says, listen, he's talking to the irreligious here. I know you think I'm just like a good time and I like to drink and I like to feast, and I do, but make sure you understand this. The call to you is to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow me. So he's thinning the herd of people who think Jesus is just here for a good time. But then, in that same chapter, he tells the religious people, he says, listen, I invited you to this banquet you wanted nothing to do with it so guess what I sent out my friends and they're going to get the people to come fill up this party they're shaking the bushes and the shrubs and they're knocking on doors because I want everybody here but there's one way to come here and that's to understand I'm the God who provides now will you come enter my joy or will you just keep on entertaining the things of this world thinking this is where life happens and when you go to church, you just go, hmm, that was a good story. You're missing the heart of God. The heart of God is a God who loves you not because you are lovable. I don't care if you're on this spectrum of rebellion or this spectrum of rebellion, religious or irreligious, both of you, both of us, miss the point. And that's not where joy is found. Yeah, you can have fun for a while. Oh, I have. <laughs> I've tried both. Both suck, by the way, in the long run. I mean, they really do. And, and, and if you think, oh, I've never tried both, they, everybody vacillates between the two, religion and irreligion, until you finally come home and you pull up a seat and you just say, my God is amazing. This is where life happens. This is where joy is found. This is where I can enjoy life with the one who's created me to enjoy life with him. Have you enjoyed that? I hope you do. We'll drift. You drift back and forth. Let me ask you a question, though. Let's turn it in on, on, on what do we do with this? 
Let me ask you a question. Which brother's easier for you to love? I mean, seriously, which brother's easier for you to love? Because I think, man, there are many times we say, well, I think it's easier for me to love those who are just a train wreck. They're just a wreck. I mean, it's such a mess. I mean, they don't, they don't even know how big of a mess they are. I can love them. Some say, oh, that person makes me really uncomfortable because they've watched other things beyond Veggie Tales, and so I'm going to find the religious club over here, and I think I'm just going to hunker down with my beans and bullets and wait for Jesus to return and give me a rapture. But can I just say that if we're going to be like the Father, we've got to love them both. That's a challenge to me, too. Anybody who hangs out with me knows this is the brother I can hang out with, the irreligious. So much easier than the religious older brother who hates dancing and music. It's just easier. But, but I want to be like my father. And if I want to be like my father, then I must love them both. I must love them both. He loves them both. He welcomes them both home to come to the table of joy, to enjoy him. The question is, is will we? Or will you just have certain people that you welcome home? Because really, that's what we're doing here. That's, that's what we're doing. As a church plant, what we're seeking to do is to, by God's grace, fill the banquet. To fill the banquet. Because God loves the party, and he wants tons of people there. But he wants both there. He wants both there. And I think sometimes within a young church plant, we can just get so stuck here, we miss here. But I got to tell you, Greensburg's filled with tons of religious folks that don't know the heart of God. They don't know. They just, they're just trying to earn his love. They're out in the field and they're afraid to come home because they're afraid that, will I be received? Or they think, I have been. Of course, look at me. I'm pretty amazing. But they're both lost and we have to speak the gospel with clarity, with serious clarity if we're going to see them come home. You're both lost. You're both lost. Here's the path home. Repentance and faith. Trust in Christ alone. This is the good news of the gospel. And when they do, when we have, what happens? Well, Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that everything the world has to offer is better than life with God? And that's something you have to work through. Straight up. Because I'm going to tell you right now, after a while, this becomes a drag too. If you're coming for any other reason than I want life with God, eventually this just becomes something you won't come to. You just won't. The only thing that keeps someone anchored to the heart of the Father is to understand this Father loves. Oh, He loves you. And, and how do you know? And that's where we end. You, you know by the gospel. I mean, think about what a privilege it is. We'll start here, but we won't end here. To introduce the irreligious and the religious to Jesus, who essentially became the prodigal son. Think about it. Jesus left his heavenly home. Willingly, though. He didn't go to rebel. He went out of obedience. 
He, he willingly left home to come to a far country. But he wasn't trying to squander anything. He was trying to gain. And what was he seeking to gain? A family. A family. But the problem was, this world was full of irreligious and religious children who wanted nothing to do with the Father. And so he had to do something amazing to make a way, a pathway home. And what was that? He had to be the perfect older son, right? Because he lived this perfect life of obedience. He never sinned. And he wasn't doing this to get love from the Father. He understood he was infinitely, forever, always loved by the Father. And so he lives a perfect life of obedience. And he goes to a cross where he's treated as the younger son's sins deserve. But he had no sin. He had no sin at all. And he willingly went to the cross to receive the punishment that, that actually that young man deserved. But he received it. And he received the wrath of God in our place. Why? So that he could defeat Satan, sin, and death. And he could raise from the grave and he could make a way for everyone to come home to the Father who loves and loves to celebrate. And so have you ever thought that every time someone comes home, there's a celebration happening in heaven. Heaven, angels rejoice. And the Father, he just meets you with a smile, not a frown. Not a frown. He delights in you. He loves you. He sees you. He runs to you. He embraces you. He kisses you. You ever wonder, like, what's it going to be like when I stand before my maker? I bet it looks a lot like that. Is that the picture of God that you have? I pray. I pray it is. And I pray that if it's not, that, man, the Lord would just open your eyes to see. To see the love of God. To see his love for you. Because it's when that happens, that's true religion. That's true religion. And that's when you'll go looking for the irreligious and the religious brother. And you'll say, come home. How do I come home? Turn from trying to earn. Turn from your rebellion. Receive grace. Receive love. Receive the love of your father. He's waiting for you at the house. That's what we're called to do. Well, I pray you join me in that. I pray that you'll just shake the bushes, knock on doors, not in some weird way like a Mormon, right? But like, get to know your neighbors. Is that wrong? I'm sorry. Not really. I'm not really. I'm not sorry. Ser <laughs> Seriously, I got, I've ended early. I have two minutes. The reason I'm not sorry is because you got to know something. They're inviting him to know a God that is not God. Mormon religions, it's a cult. And I love Mormons. Jesus loves Mormons. But they ain't home. They ain't home. And I don't say that with arrogance or with ignorance. But they're not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. So they're not enjoying joy from the Father. I have two friends who used to be Mormons who have trusted in Jesus Christ of the Bible. And they're now enjoying life with him. And they would tell you, oh, tell us. Tell us. Don't think we've got it right. We don't, right? And the only reason any of us understand that is because Christ in his grace revealed himself to us. It's not that we're better, but we want them to know the real God. And the only way to know that is through the real Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God the Father except through him. We're unashamed of that. We just want to say it with kindness, right? So that's a little side note. Um,
Would you join me in prayer? And I'm going to pray specifically, and I want you to join me in praying this, that God would help our hearts and our minds to understand his infinite love. No matter how much you think you understand how much God loves you, including me, we all can grow in that understanding. That we'd be able to receive it, that we'd be able to know it, but then we'd be able to go out and love people like the Father. So that's what I'm going to pray. We join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this day, and Lord, we thank you for this picture of grace, this picture of love. Father, thank you for inviting us home. Thank you for making a way for us to come home. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. And, and Father, we ask right now that you would just allow our hearts and our minds to be able to comprehend the depth and the width of the love that you have for us. Because no matter where we're at, it's, it's really shallow in so many ways. And you just, we need a miracle to happen within our hearts and our minds to be able to understand the love that you have for us that was displayed through the gospel. And God, as our understanding and our comprehension and our faith grows to understand how much you do love us, it's from that overflow of love that, that, Lord, we will love the people around us. Lord, you've placed us in Greensburg specifically to love the irreligious and to love the religious and to call them home, to call them to enjoy life with the Father. But, but Lord, we must sit at the table and enjoy your presence if we're going to ever have a chance to do that. We need so much grace. We need so much power. Thankfully, you've given us both because you've given us yourself in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would be magnified in the great city of Greensburg for your name's sake, for their good, and for their ultimate joy. Would you do this? Would this please you to do this through your people? I know it will. I know it does. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.